Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Objective brought to you by the Ayn Rand Center UK. I'm now hosting a lot of these things since uh, since Rucka went and abandoned us. And I like that. I prefer doing that. I guess I like taking the lead. Today, joining me is uh, <laughs> not in disguise, actually. He had surgery uh, specifically for this episode um, because the episode is about humor and humor and objectivism. When is it right to have humor? When is What should one laugh at, et cetera, et cetera. We know that objectivism is brimming with tons of humor. There's lots of laughter everywhere, lots of laughs. And, uh, and Paul Gay and I are going to mine this extensive field and sort it out for you and for us. Uh, Paul, welcome to the show. It's great to see you again. And I love the new look. Thank you so much, Mark. Yeah, the surgery went well. Um, I too am sorry that Rucka has apparently abandoned us, but you are the leader that I have always wanted to follow. Well, thank you very much. And uh, and uh, I'd like to get the name of your surgeon. You know, we in Hollywood are constantly messing with our faces and, and adjusting, you know, like every artist does, uh, always perfecting, always perfecting things. And I think you've attained perfection here. And I would like the name of that surgeon, if you don't mind. It's a Dr. Mengele. Ah, ooh, okay. Dark, but, but very interesting. And I, I have to say, you bear a resemblance to a certain comedian from way back when I'm trying to pin the name of that guy part of a group of brothers or did he have a show at one time no oh, not Marx. the Karl Marx and the Marx brothers Marx brothers yes yeah 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 the the kind of groucho look I always the thought Grand Carl was the, the, I thought Carl was the least entertaining of the four or five uh, I think Zeppa was more talented than Carl was but you know no family's perfect Harpo. I thought Harpo was the most talented of them all very talented, very talented. So anyway, um, what is this thing with objectivism and humor? Uh, have you noticed that there's a dearth of humor, is that the correct word to use, in objectivism itself? Is objectivism afraid of being funny? I um, I, I never met Miss Rand. Um, I get the feeling that she wouldn't start off every meeting with a few one-liners. Uh, I get the feeling that she saw her mission as being a lot more serious and that the way that she chose to pursue that mission was in a serious way. Um, I think, however, for what it's worth, obviously one can make incredibly serious points in a comedic way as well. Um, I think she chose not to do that. I don't know if she, if she temperamentally didn't feel it was suited to her or not, but obviously humor wasn't where she led, what she led with. On the other hand, some of, some of the names of her characters, specifically the villains, are Dickensian in how outrageous they are. Um, you can identify a Wesley Mouch as perhaps not a good guy, and an Ellsworth Toohey is perhaps not the bastion of manhood that you and I certainly are. So she definitely used satirical names uh, to make a point, which I think was well done. I have friends who have read um, Atlas Shrugged and love it and consider themselves objectivists who said that for the worth of them, they could not, uh, they couldn't do uh, John Galt's 65 or whatever page speech. And I'm thinking if Galt had, had done it as stand-up, as a stand-up monologue, perhaps my friends would have been able to actually read all of those excellent words in Atlas Shrugged. Just a hint out there for people who are, you know, looking to bodlerize and change Miss Rand, the way they're doing Roald Dahl, apparently. Well, you know, there is some there is something to that. Uh, that's deep philosophy. Everything that Galt says is deep philosophy. And what better way to to deliver that medicine than through the mechanism of humor, I think. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, I think a point that Rand makes is that humor is not bad per se. It depends on what the target of the humor is. So one doesn't make fun, perhaps, of one's own principles. And I, I completely agree one shouldn't make fun of one's own principles. I think it's helpful to have uh, a sense of humor about oneself. Um, Boris Karloff is one of my favorite actors, and he said that he always took his work seriously, but he never took himself seriously. And I'm not suggesting that we want uh, John Galt slapping his thigh as he makes jokes at his own expense, but I think more humor would be good for people who are trying to spread the message of liberty. I think um, humor is inherently life-affirming, um, and I think it's also laughing in the face of death. Um, when Oscar Wilde, the notorious wit and fop, was dying, he apparently looked at the wallpaper and said, either that wallpaper goes or I do, and then he died. Now that's an excellent line, you know? That's who who doesn't want to die just to get that line out there. Um, but I think I think humor can bring people in. And I think humor, when used against the correct targets, can be incredibly powerful. I think mocking things that deserve to be mocked is something that we haven't done nearly enough of. Um, I think we need to, to expose the ludicrousness of statist positions, of positions that are inimical to freedom. Uh, and we should do it with a pair of nose and glasses. And you are starting us on that path. And I, I completely appreciate your foresight for this. You're right. Uh, hu humor is a healthy thing. Laughter is a healthy thing. There are people who say they have laughed their way out of cancer. Um, and you're right. Um, and I think this is something the left does very well. They mock the opposition's perspective and and it it, it serves multiple purposes. <laughs> Not only does it make make one laugh, but it 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 belittles um it belittles what they consider evil uh, in a way that's difficult to come back at, right? And um, yeah. and we need to start doing a lot more of that for sure. I'm trying to do it in my reality checks. I want to bring more and more humor to uh, to uh, really, and, and there's so much to mine with status. I mean, they're so afraid of everything. They're they're so uptight. They they're so filled with hatred and rage. What better way to disarm that than with the jujitsu of humor? Really, really. There's I, no I, I, I completely agree. I was uh, I was looking at a couple of my favorite quotations from films, and uh, there's a scene in Doctor Strangelove in which President Merkin Muffley says, "Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room." But it's not subtle, but I don't think humor has to be subtle. Um, it really makes the point. And the other one that comes to mind is in Life of Brian. Brian is addressing a crowd and he says, you've got to think for yourselves. You're all individuals. And as one, they say, yes, we're all individuals. Brian says, you're all different. The crowd as one says, yes, we're all different. And then the man, a man in the back says, I'm not. I think that's the best mocking of the collectivist position I've ever seen. And I think it's more powerful than arguments and white papers. It's beautiful. And that's what that's what makes that movie live long and probably eternally as a, as a classic. We have a um, we have a couple of super chats from Mary Aline. Thank you. As all as always, two dollars. Dominique laughed like a child. Remember that? Now, I don't remember that. I remember her as being uniquely unhumorous. But please, Paul, you seem to remember this. So so enlighten me. I don't remember the Dagny thing, but I do remember Fountainhead opens with Howard Rourke laughed, if I'm correct. So yep. laughter per se, not a bad thing. Right. And he's he's laughing at all the right things as, as well, like we need to. What did you think of Jojo Rabbit, by the way? Did you see that movie? 
Jojo Rabbit is the best movie I've seen uh, in the years since it came out in the f past five or six years. I thought it was startlingly brave. Um, I think it was sad that some people say that you can't, there are things that you can't make fun of. Um, I think Mel Brooks proved that you can make fun of Nazis and they deserve to be made fun of rigorously. They need to be made fun of on a schedule. Um, they need to be slapped with a fish, not with fists, but with a fish, uh, perhaps a silly fish. Um, Jojo Rabbit was great. Just the showing of the maturation of the boy as he goes from an imaginary friend who's Adolf Hitler to outgrowing his imaginary friend and his need for his imaginary friend and understanding the dark side of his imaginary friend. You know, I'd give my career to have written that. It's just, it was it was brilliant, I thought. Well, those Other guys- that, Didn't like it. Those those New, New Zealand guys um, are pretty good at being politically incorrect. They've, they've satirized- uh, things before that are awesome. I, I I don't know if you've ever seen um, uh, what we do in the shadows, but it's like uh, one of the, one of the best vampire satires ever. I think written and or directed or something by the same by the same guy who did Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They 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 like Ricky Gervais. Don't shy away from um, thumbing their nose at th at hypocrisy and and the and the new Puritanism that we're seeing coming up through this woke culture that is um <clears throat> dares you to be individualistic dares you to laugh at it which it should be laughed at i'm sorry these people need to be laughed at and uh, i mean that their primary reason for uh, existing is is to is the claim that that kind of thing is horrific and that we need to stop that and exercise it from society but i think we need more of it catherine catherine uh, Cascio, uh catherine forgive me if i'm mispronouncing your last name thanks for always being there. 499 humor can be very healing in many ways. I think so. Uh, James Valiant, thanks James for 10 bucks. Uh, more ridicule. Life of Brian is genius. Yes, we should ridicule bad things and bad people. Yeah, one of the things that when one reads the latest woke screeds or the latest critical race theory or whatever stuff, the fact that it's not written in human language, the fact that it's written in a kind of bureaucraties should in itself let us know that it is idiots uh, who are in eminently mockable and viciously need mocking who are doing that. We shouldn't take seriously people who take themselves that seriously. People who cannot communicate, who do word salads, who bury us in obfuscations, who have never met a noun and a verb that can simply go together and make sense. They just they need to be they need to be hurt with feathers. They need to be spanked nude. And I, I don't care if the spank <laughs> is nude as long as the spanky is nude. But that's what needs to happen. Uh, we need you out there doing this, man. You're the guy with the talent. You're the guy who can who can who knows the, the difference between nouns and verbs and can put them together like they belong together and can give these people exactly the kind of uh, feather tickling they need. In their nether Mark, region. I'm a very serious man. I majored in philosophy. You shouldn't trifle with me. <laughs> um, Ashley Shrug for $1.99 says, uh, the objectiverse needs more humor. Bring it, Mark. Well, not just me, Paul, too. I think we're going to change the face of the world. Maybe I'm grandiose, but I don't give a fuck. I like being grandiose because I think we can do it. Yeah. Um, so uh, in, in terms of, I don't know if we have to you Don't blow that off. You just blew that off. I could tell. I, it, I, I can't follow genius with anything but my own um, stuporific stupidity. Um, 
one of the things that Rand said about humor that I sort of remember is her affection for Cyrano de Bergerac, which in my opinion is one of the great plays of all time and has, has spawned a couple of excellent films. It's a deeply romantic um, story. It's a story that is, uh, it's, a, it's almost a tragedy at the end. It's an incredibly sad ending, obviously. So it is, uh, it is not lacking in the tears department. But how is it that Cyrano puts down the people who make fun of his nose, the people who are full of cant and hypocrisy? How does he do it? He doesn't only do it with his rapier-like rapier, he does it with his rapier wit as well. He mocks them, he makes fun of them. And in fact, he makes fun of himself to an extent because when he's insulted inadequately, he helps the poor insulter by providing really funny insults that could be had at his own expense. My God, I wish all objectivists did that. Am I saying they should all be sword fighters? Yes, I am. That's the point. Indeed, they should. Uh, indeed, they should. We need more rapier wits. Um, Ali Beard for $2 says, what about humor from Dave Chappelle? What do you think of Dave Chappelle? I have never watched him. Um, what I have read about him, I've liked everything that I've read. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I, I haven't watched too much of his stuff, but he does seem to do what a comedian should do, which is fly in the face of convention, expose hypocrisy, and have fun with people and make you laugh. And he seems to be able to do that pretty nicely. Um, uh, so, hey, I'm I'm a fan of a guy who's pushing back against the woke Puritans. Yeah. Uh, Mary, Mary Lean uh, with $5.00. Uh, Mike, Rourke, Dominique, and Rourke gathered in Mallory's shack when he was sculpting Dominique. They took breaks. Dominique laughed like a child. I guess that's where it happened. But she, she was naked and, and laughing. And right, Mary Elena, she was naked for that statue. I, I think, well, great. I'm, I'm glad because Dominique, Dominique's starting to grow on me a little bit more. I've had a really bad issue with her for many, many, many years. And then Don Watkins said something that blew me out of the water that I probably should have seen from a mile away that uh, he was she was trying to save him, not destroy him. Uh, Rourke, Rourke, that is. And it made me feel a little bit more for Dominique's um, or insanity. What about you? What do you I know it's a little off topic, but do you like Dominique? I, I haven't I don't have the same um, issues with Dominique because I had a, a real life uh, relationship going on, Mark, when I was reading the book. So I wasn't so much invested in the fictional character romantically as you. Uh, but uh, no, she, I, I find her really interesting. So I, it's not for me, it's not a like or dislike. It's like this is an interesting woman who's going through a series of in interesting changes over the course of the novel. All right. Well, you're the writer in the room, so I'm going to trust you. Me, I would have uh, I would have kicked her out of the car a long, long time ago and let her walk home. But while that's, it was moving, but potentially while it was moving, a couple of times she did things that I think it warranted a moving car uh, ejection. Uh, Catherine says for a dollar ninety nine says pronounced Cassio, Cassio. All right, Cassio. Thank you, Catherine, for that and for paying a dollar ninety nine for educating me. Uh, Jack Schumann, who's, I guess, watching us from a, a plane, perhaps, uh, uh, on her way to New York for $10. Sorry I couldn't be there in person. Dagny was the queen of zingers. I sort of uh, agree with that. But if I had my druthers, there'd be more humor in Atlas. So many great opportunities to show Jim Taggart as a comically, as comically daft. That's true. That guy, that guy's a buffoon. And I think these guys do a pretty good job at making him sort of a buffoon, um, yeah. if I remember correctly. You you agree? 
Yeah, and in terms of yeah, it, and this isn't this doesn't directly link, but in terms of making fun of the other side, we we cede to the other side a seriousness that we should not cede to them. When they call themselves woke, we should be laughing in their faces. They're the least self-aware people who have ever lived since the very second Neanderthal, who was really stupid. His name was Schlup. Uh, he didn't have a lot of self-awareness, but he was great with rocks. But we need to make fun of that. <laughs> When they, when they call themselves progressive, this is the most regressive philosophy in the history of the world. Don't give them the word progressive. They would know progress if it were a stick shift up their asses. This is, this is true. I've been saying it with much less art for a while. But um, how did you know this second Neanderthal? I mean, this is... I go back a long time, Mark. Wow. You've heard um, of the 2,000-year-old man. I'm the 2,001-year-old man. Fantastic. Um, uh, Allie Beard with $2 liked Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles. Lots of humor. Now, that was pretty groundbreaking when you think of it as well. I mean, you can talk about it. Let, let's talk about that for a minute because, I mean, here we have lots of racist tropes being pulled out of everywhere and a black hero, a, a black hero. Um, talk about a little bit about that from a comedic point of view. Not we're not going to talk about the fart scene and around the campfire, even though that was somewhat funny too. But the whole the whole piece itself being a, a great commentary. I, that was one of that was either my first or second R-rated film, and I remember going into the theater and I remember joining it about ten minutes late. For some reason, I'd gotten delayed in traffic, and I think Harvey Corman was stroking a statue or something, nice. and he was addressing the camera. And I hadn't seen anybody break the fourth wall in the movie before. And I thought, oh my God, you can do that? You can actually break the reality of what's going on and directly address what's happening? I think Blazing Saddles, it's one of my three or four favorite comedies. It's one of the two funniest films I've ever seen in my life. The other being uh, The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad. I like Blazing Saddles even more than Young Frankenstein. And I like Young Frankenstein an unbearable amount because I grew up on monster movies. But there is an openness and a warmth and a welcoming quality to uh, Blazing Saddles. It's a sprawling mess, but it's a mess you want to be part of. And I remember there's one point in the movie where they're trying to get the good guys to work together against the bad guys. And one of the white rednecks says something like, all right, we'll take the so-and-sos, we'll take the so-and-sos, but we won't take the Irish. And there's a pause. And somebody makes the point, now you got to make take the Irish too. And then they go, ah, prairie shit, we'll take everybody. There's that kind of acceptance that was wonderful. And there's the, so many expenses at the, so many jokes at the expense of the racists in the movie, I thought was wonderful. Um, I have zero idea if you could make it today. Um, I think it's, I am so delighted to have lived in a time where I could appreciate Blazing Saddles. I mean, producers, he's making fun of Nazis. 12 Chairs, he's making a really good film that's not really making fun of anything in particular except greed, I guess, avarice. Um, blazing Saddles, uh, Racism, uh, The Target. Um, my God. And then followed by Young Frankenstein. That's one of the best four movie runs in the history of film, I think. Pretty great. For Young Frankenstein, one of my favorites as well. Yeah, that's when we were progressing towards actual um, colorblindness in our society. And now we've, of course, regressed back into some uh, disgusting form of tribalism that we should laugh at, lampoon, and put down as often as possible. Mary Lean with $2 says she put on a robe for the breaks. Oh, that's unfortunate. But um, I guess Dominique robed up for the breaks. Oh, that's a waste of time. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah. I could have stayed in the closet and we'd all be better. So Allie Beard says for $2, what about comic book dark humor like DC's Joker? Now, this is going to, I think, go into an interesting direction, particularly with the new movie, The Joker, which I think said some very true things about the way in which society is going, uh, terrifyingly enough. But um, a character like the Joker is it was so utterly nihilistic. Um, what do you think of that humor? I uh, I actually don't remember much humor from the Joker. I have to say, um, I was I was uh, I'm, I'm actually mixing up with the Batman now, so I've got to get straight which, which was which. Okay, so the Joker was sort of the remake of King of Comedy. Um, I thought it was the well Bat, done. That Joker, I think, was focused much more on, on the dark side of psychopathology. But the Joker with Heath Ledger sort of married the comic book a little bit with that sort of nihilistic glee at destruction for its own sake. Yeah, um, that's uh, yeah. The Joker is it would embody um, the negative side of humor. I'm not saying he's not funny. I'm saying that he is joking at life. He's joking at the notion of purpose, um, joy. Um, he's somebody who exists solely for destruction, letting things burn, making things burn so that they can burn. Um, but yeah, that's that's nihilistic humor. So it's sort of the opposite of the life-affirming humor that we've been talking about. And the new Joker, the one with Joaquin Phoenix, which he acted uh, amazingly well. What do you think that says? About, did you think it was it was a sort of true, a a, a true telling of the way in which our culture is going right now? I don't know. Um, I thought it was a, I, I kind of, I was reluctant going into Joker and the Batman because I think the dark gritty thing has been pushed so incredibly far with comic book films. Um, we may have had this conversation before, but for me, the shining example of how to do it is Superman. And I get that Batman is a completely different character. I get that he's the dark knight. But for me, I'm sort of, it's like, I've seen the gritty. I get it. I know. Um, but I actually thought that the Batman was pretty well done. And I thought Joker was well done. That's not answering your question about sense of humor. But I, I actually don't have much to say about the sense of humor in those films. I mean, they, they are they are very well done films. But I fear that that uh, the promotion of, I don't know if psychopathy is a word, but that of, of mental illness that we're seeing today, um, I think all, all over was sort of, I, I can't say that it was it was the movie was prescient because it was happening at that time and it certainly yeah. exaggerates the scale of it and the dominance of it and its ability to take over a culture and completely destroy it. But I think it's happening uh, in, in a big way. And that's part of the sad and depressing part of that that movie. Robert Nasser with two dollars says, I'm now converting to Marxism and it's your fault. Look Damn. at that. See what that nose did? Damn it. There's a handsome man under this nose. And when he appears, I'll show him to you. All right. Maybe that'll change Robert's mind. Uh, Ashley shrugged with $1.99. Oh, my God, Paul, you're hilarious. But we all knew yeah. this. Uh, I, I take myself very seriously, so I'm upset. But thank you. <clears throat> um, and many objectivists out there probably uh, take themselves too seriously as well. And I think we should talk a little bit more. I don't know that we that we hit that enough about objective is taking themselves so goddamn seriously yeah i yeah i've never been um in in objectivist circles um because nobody would have me because they have good taste 
my contact with objectivism is through Rand. Um, love the books, obviously, and they, they changed my intellectual life for what it's worth. But I remember I persuaded my wife, my long-suffering wife, to go to an objectivist meeting or party or something many years ago. And it was being hosted by somebody we didn't know, I think. I forget how we got the invitation. But I wanted to see what it was like. I wanted to see if any of the cliches that people had about objectivists were true, if everybody would be wearing capes and if there would be dollar signs everywhere and cigarette holders. So we go in and uh, I introduce myself to the first person that I meet. And I said something like, so what do you do? What's your story? And he proceeded to um, recite his resume slash CV to me with I think all of his job titles and every job he'd ever done. And I couldn't believe it. It was, it was so hilarious and it was so sad at the same time because that unfortunately was my image of at least some objectivists going into the party. And so we left the party rather quickly because I didn't need any other resumes orally uh, recited to me. But there has to be a way that one can be proud of one's accomplishments without saying, hey, I'm a heavy duty shit. You need to take me seriously. Um, perhaps let people make their own conclusions or say things that are intriguing about what one does rather than listing off one's CV. By the way, I've got mine here and I'd be happy to read it, Mark, if anybody wants to hear it. Um, awesome. I think we'll save that for the end though. And um, uh, but uh, it looks like we have a few super chats that are asking for this. Um, so Af Ashley Shug already got her Allie Beard for another $2. Thank you, Allie. History of the entire world is getting a sequel. Are you writing the sequel? No, they want good writers. Um, and that's what's going to differentiate it from the first film. I'm one of the Mel Brooks fans who doesn't care for history of the world. There are parts that I think are hilarious. For me, sketch comedy is, is tough. It's almost always uneven. Um, and I think parts were way better than other parts. But for me, it didn't reach the heights of hilarity of his first four films. Like Mel Brooks needs my approbation. By the way, since we're talking about me and not enough, but we are talking about me, um, Mel Brooks uh, did a cameo in a film that I co-wrote called The Little Rascals. And his wife, Anne Bancroft, had a small role in another film I co-wrote called Heartbreakers. And I, I saw Mel um, at, the, uh, at a local theater that was screening some film. And I went up to him afterwards. And I said, hey, you had a cameo in one of my films and your wife was in one of my others. And he said, which films? And I named them and he immediately walked away. <laughs> okay, I think that says quite a bit. Thank you. Um, Jax, uh, Jax again with $5. Thank you, Jax. Wait, Paul, you liked the Batman with Robert Pattinson? If so, we're broken up for the rest of the day. Um, what do you say? I have, I've just barely gotten together with Jax. And the notion that she's breaking up with me from an airplane is really offensive. And the notion that I'm not even in a seat ahead of her so I can recline backwards and she can hit me, that's that I'm missing out on something. But if she wants to break up with me over this philosophical disagreement, let her do so. That's all okay, I have Jack, to say. To Jack, this is very Hollywood, I have to say. Breaking up with somebody over text in this manner while you're jet setting off to New York City and we're just sitting here in our humble places respectively. Where where are you right now? Are you in California? Me, me? Yeah, you, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Jax, Jax's job is to be on this show. And the fact that she's abandoning this like a rucka, for Christ's sake, so that she can move her career forward as if that matters to me is really irritating. Max pulled a rucka. She's pulling a rucka. Jax, uh, how are you going to make up for this now? Um, you, you know, I don't, 
Well, I guess she's breaking up with me too, but you know, just because I actually liked the Batman as well, but I sort of tend to go in dark areas. I'm a horror fan like you, but I mean, you're, you're more of a universal, uh, like classic horror fan, right? I'm sort of into the modern day, uh, which I think is another golden age of horror personally. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? I know we're going a little bit off topic, but how do you think of modern horror now? You know, God, I would love to pretend I could say anything interesting about it. I, When I grew up as a kid, horror was the genre that grabbed me. And it was primarily the universal films, Frankenstein, Dracula, The Wolfman, Creature, Mummy, uh, Invisible Man, and so on. There are definitely more modern horror films that I have enjoyed. Um, none is instantly coming to mind. I, I sort of bonded more with the universal films, the Hammer films, the American International, Edgar Allan Poe films, Roger Corman, the Amicus uh, anthologies. So I, I don't have a lot to say about modern horror. It's not an, op- I, I saw the phone or the black phone that was written by Joe Hill, the son of Stephen King. Yeah, no. You didn't like it. I was not a fan of the black phone. And I do like Joe, I like, look, Joe Hill wrote a a, a graphic novel sort of semi-series called The Cape. And I didn't like the first one, but I loved the the second one, which was supposed to be like a prequel. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's very dark, right? Somebody gets a cape, they get superpowers and they use it for bad. I mean, that's, you know. Come yeah, on. yeah. Is there a particular modern horror film that stands out for you? Oh, my Lord. There's, there's, uh, I'd, I'd have to think because, you know, 20 or 30 come to mind. I just saw a, an interesting one called The Innocents, which I think y- y- you might like. Okay. Uh, it's Swedish. Um, of course, there's another Swedish vampire film called Let the Right One In, which I actually really like. As I well. really like that. And I also like the American remake of that one. I like the American remake of it as well. And, you know, it's based on a book and right. the book gets uh, very into the relationship between the the vampire and her uh, the, the older man that seems to be her, her helper. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting sick and strange uh, relationship uh, and- agree it's it's so creative it's so smart it's stuff that you haven't seen before in a vampire film um when you said the innocence i'm automatically thinking of the 1961 jack clayton film the innocence based on turn of the screw right no i know that uh, also i think very interesting and i loved i loved that that book as well this is different it's it's kids with psychic powers but it's one kid who discovers his psychic powers and does evil things and another group of kids that try to band together one of whom is autistic and can't speak but has is she sort of a conduit for these powers to try to fight this kid who's who's got murder in his blood you know he's you, you get once he gets a taste of power he can't he can't stop and it's it's a very good, uh, very good little piece, and you and you watch the the slow uh, development of evil, and and also the the other people's uh, attempts to fight it, combat it, and and band together in order to to defeat it. It's it's pretty well done. Uh, did you ever see the Babadook? The Babadook? I haven't. I have DVR'd it, and I am approaching it. I'm there's like I have 18 horror films DVR'd, and I'm seeing them in chronological order. So I have a few to polish off before then. There's also, I mean, if you want to go, if you want to go dark but uh, humorously dark, there's, there, uh, do you, uh, there's, a, do you like Mark Duplass, the 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 actor, sort of actor producer? I'm not sure I could identify him. Well, he did he did two horror films called Creep. One is called Creep, and then of course there's Creep Two. 
Um, and it's uh, it's 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 very funny. It's premised on a guy who um, who hires this director to vi to videotape his last days because he's supposedly dying of cancer, and uh, he wants to leave a he wants to leave sort of a, a a record for his 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 son for the future that uh, his son can grow up with and refer to, but of course. Uh, there's lots more going on than that. And it gets pretty crazy and twisted. And it's funny at the same time, Creep 2 is sort of the same vibe, but he entraps the wrong person. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know if it'll end in a way that will necessarily <laughs> satisfy, um, it, but it's, it's, it, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, what do we have here? Um, more, more from more super chats. Uh, Louise with ten pounds. More shows like this, please. Wow, here I thought I was floundering there for a bit, and and now Louise comes right at the right moment to. Well, to I, I think you are, Mark, but I think they're pretty much responding to my looks, my attitude, and my style. This is true. I didn't want to say that out loud, but I'm glad yeah. you did. Announcement. Oh, there's an announcement coming up. So, but I guess we'll do that at the end. Look, have we mined this? Have we mined this subject for all it's worth? Um, I'm looking at the notes that I didn't prepare ahead of time to see if there's anything else. I just, just one more point about in terms of um, spreading the the uh, Randian gospel. Um, I think a lot of times there are different things that attract people to objectivism and to liberty philosophies. And for me, it was in part uh, Ayn Rand's rage. I love the fact that she was angry at the targets that she was angry about. I love it when people show something like that. It wasn't, her arguments were not consequentialist arguments. They were not arguing over whether 5% or 5.2% income tax is the appropriate amount. It was rage at people who would mentally and morally enslave us. And it was love for people who would fight against those things. I'd love to see us do more committed stuff like that. And I think one of the humor and rage can go very well together. Again, when I think of something like Dr. Strangelove, Dr. Strangelove isn't made out of happiness at the way the human race was going when, uh, when Kubrick and uh, I think Peter George or whoever and, and Terry Southern wrote it. It's rage at what's happening. And the rage can come off in, in many ways. In Rand, it usually comes off as, as drama and melodrama, and I don't mean that as an insult, I mean it as a genre, sort of. Um, but I think it can also come out in comedy, and I think we need to do more of that. Another story that attracted me to Liberty was Kurt Vonnegut Jr.'s um, Harrison Bergeron, which uh, looks at a dystopian future in which everybody is made equal. And if they're, if they're not born equal, they're made equal. So if you have a speech impediment, you're going to be announcing the news. And if you're uh, crippled in one way or another or missing a leg, you're going to be uh, winning the gymnastics Olympics. And it's just the logical conclusion of what it is that the wokesters want. It's pure equality up your ass, basically, and in your face. And it's, for me, it's, it's sad, it's funny, and it's enraging all at the same time. So I don't think, for me, it's not, not that anybody's said this, but it's not drama or comedy, it's drama and comedy, or drama followed by comedy followed by drama. These are not either or things. There are very many ways to approach the subject of liberty. Laughing at evil is one way of doing it. Um, you know, it's not the only way, and sometimes it's not the best way, but sometimes it is. Sometimes you can disarm people with laughter, and they can you can make them open to the rest of your message, or they can, for the first time, see when you juxtapose two self-contradictory ideas that most philosophies have, 
they can go, wait, they can't both be true. And they can see the absurdity of the position that other people are holding. And that may lead them to bring themselves to objectivism in a way that hectoring, for example, would not. Uh, uh, that is beautiful. I wish I could say it as as well as you. That uh, That's great. And we need more of that in objectivism for sure. And I think we gain a lot of ground and very quickly doing that. Uh, Catherine, again, with $1.99 says, you are both great. Um, Mark is greater. This is true. And I wasn't going to say that out loud, but you keep saying what I'm thinking. So uh, right. I'll, uh, Mary Aline with $2 says something, of course, about me. Uh, Mark, I love your scarf. She does say, Paul, your nose is a little too-too. Okay. No, uh, listen, she, if, she didn't say that. I'm, I'm just saying. My God, Mark, you are so tough. <laughs> I do think you do need to put a little bit of pow a powder on it just to, so it's not so contrasting with the rest of your skin tone. It just is a little bit even more disfiguring than I had imagined, although that's kind of a nice profile view in a way. I'm okay with the profile. I just like it to br bring it in alignment with the with the rest of your face, a little more uniform yeah. color. I think that makes sense. Um, hi. Now, this, who is do we a, this is a friend of mine. This is Mr. Butts. I would show you why he's called Mr. Butts, but when I try to turn his butt to this camera, for some reason, it doesn't work. So he just, I just thought I'd introduce him for the people at home. This is not what an objectivist looks like. There's three things that objectivists look like. Let me show you. Behind me, you can see Curly, you can see Mo, you can see Larry. That's what a real objectivist looks like. This is not one, so you can recognize him. Ever see that person on the street? Not an objectivist. Not an objectivist, and make sure to lampoon heavily in, in the spirit yeah. of this show. Well, um, Paul, it's been a great episode for me. I hope it was as good for you, even though you broke up with Jax or she broke up with you in this moment. I'm going to have to tell my wife that Jax broke up with me and I can't wait to see what that leads to. Um, you know, maybe trips to Carmel. Who knows? I'm interested in seeing that too. Um, announcements, Life on Earth Today, 10 p.m. UK time. Title, Objectivism on One Foot and life in four words or less. Wow. Wow. That's, that's ambitious. That's what I call ambitious. Um, so there you are, folks. Uh, laugh a lot. Laugh at bad things a lot. Laugh at bad people a lot. Laugh at bad ideas a lot. Lampoon them. Focus that rage. Um, write and create with that rage in mind and make it funny as hell. And you know what? You'll defeat the bad guys, I think by laughing them off the stage. Um, that's all I have to say. Paul, any final words before we bid our audience adieu? Yes, whoopee cushions are underrated. There's a time and a place for the whoopee cushion and the time and place is usually here and now. I think there would have been a great, any time, uh, I would have loved to have seen a whoopee cushion in the State of Union address. That would have been a fantastic thing for yeah. me to do. On that note, folks, we will leave you. This has been The Daily Objective brought to you by the Ayn Rand Center UK with Mr. Paul Gay and Mark Pellegrino. We will see you sometime in the future, I hope. Peace. Live long and prosper. <laughs>